You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Iowa Sportsman Podcast, the number one source for hunting and fishing information, strategy and tactics, as well as conversations surrounding conservation efforts and other outdoor activities in the great state of Iowa. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and this episode of the Iowa Sportsman Podcast starts right now. All right, on the phone with me once again, Mr. Tom Peplinski. How you doing, man? Real good, man. How you been? You know, I can't complain. Um, it's that time of year where we always we always bitch and complain about having too much standing crops in October, and then here late season we always want to find those standing crops and i tell you what i am really excited because i have a standing bean field across one of my main farms that i hunt and the deer right now are hammering it and i gotta find a way to hunt it so um i don't know we'll see what happens and and that's actually what i want to talk about today is late season hunting strategy the do's and don'ts and all that stuff but before we get into that how is how is your archery season or shotgun season this year so far I didn't go shotgun hunting at all this year, and I, I typically don't. In fact, I don't know that I really ever have in Iowa. Um, my archery season was phenomenal, and at the same time, I can tell you I didn't shoot a buck this year, but I probably saw more really nice, mature bucks and had a, more of a quality hunt this year and saw more deer and were on deer and stuff all season. You know, I, I, I'd almost say better than any other season in my life it was a really good year that snow that we got in november was phenomenal it was a lot of fun to hunt and it was all in all a great season i let some deer go that i'm still shocked that i let them go but i i did it because i was having so much fun i just didn't want to i didn't want to put my tag on a deer and my daughter's coming in for late muzzleloader she's coming in from wisconsin and she has a non-resident tag and so some of those deer I just, I just much rather have her get a chance at a deer like that than for me to kill another deer like that. That's kind of how I was looking at it. So it was a really good year this year though. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one thing that is a, it's awesome when you tag out, but at the same time you miss a lot of hunting because, you know, very often we don't go back into the timber just to watch the rut. I mean, I've done it a couple times throughout the year, uh, throughout my, I guess, uh, tenure as a hunter, but the last three years in a row, I've killed deer within, I would say, two to three days, maybe even four days into my rutcation, the vacation I take away from work. And then I have a sure. week and a half where I, you know, I don't go hunting anymore, so I typically just go back to work. But every time I do that, I take out and it's because, you know, hey, I've, I've put myself in a position where I... You know, I'm harvesting a, a, a mature big whitetail and the and then I go back to work and every second I'm at work for that next week and a half, I'm wishing I was back in the timber still hunting. So it's a I don't know, it's a it's a razor's edge, right? 
it absolutely is. I, I sat out uh, with my son, I want to say somewhere around mid-November. I want to say like maybe the 15th, and I'm just guessing. And we had a really good, a really, really good hunt. And we saw this this really big 10-pointer. It's the one I had tons of pictures of. And, and we were both talking in a ground blind because he was just sitting with me. You know, how could we get on that deer? And it was the next night or the night after I actually had the deer come by me. And I just, it's one of those things where that's the deer I was after. But when it happened, I picked up my bow and I just, I just didn't want my season to end. It was having a, I was having such a good year and I just, it's just, I don't know if you, if you understand what I'm saying, but I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to shoot that deer and then not be able to go the next night or the next night. So that's just kind of how my season went. And then that same deer was the end of November and I let it go again. But by that time I was already in in the zone for my daughter's late right. muzzleloader hunt and but hey that's that's what it's about you know yeah. it's going out and having a having a good time and having a good hunt and not necessarily killing something but um that's kind of how my season ended up but no regrets yep absolutely and that's one thing that i i always talk about is that the kill is just the cherry on top of the entire Sunday, right it's the journey it's the experience that we all do it for it's if we kill and we're able to you know you know mount something or put meat in the freezer that's all extra as far as i'm concerned yeah and it and i'm and i i know i'm maybe a little overconfident but if my daughter would happen to get that deer that would be that would be way way more exciting for me for her to get that deer because she hasn't really had the opportunity in her life yet to shoot you know a really nice buck so if she ends up having a a chance at it or gets it, that would be well worth it for me to let that deer go. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you real quick. How did the deer movement change for you when that big snowstorm hit? Because I was, I was in a cubicle back at work. Yeah. So that when we had that, and I don't, I don't know the dates. I probably should have rolled them down before we got on the phone here, but that whole, that whole time frame in November, where we had cold and snow, yep. I was seeing a pile of deer every time I went out. And, you know, I will say I had standing beans and I had standing corn. So I had, you know, a good food source and all of my neighbors, that crops had been off for weeks and weeks. Uh, so there was a little bit of, you know, the deer were kind of piling in there for those standing crops. But, you know, even, even late November when we had that snow, um, I would say that was the best like late rut hunting that I've had in my life where usually we talked about this a little bit on our last podcast, but you know, the, the peak breeding is the 15th of November. And then I always, I always seem to pick up a little bit of good rut movement um, of the chasing and the, you know, the bucks coming out, you know, early enough in the evening and stuff toward that, you know, 20th to 25th and later time frame. But this year, that was like multiplied by three. It was just phenomenal. And I don't know if it was the snow and the cold weather, but, you know, I don't believe in coincidence either. So right. I sure I sure think that that had them moving. And it seems like all the mature bucks that I saw toward the end of November, they were on a more bed-to-feed pattern. But when they came out, you know, in an area to feed, they were checking every doe that was, a, that was out there, and they were putting on, you know, a few hundred yards. So they just really put themselves in a – in a position to get shot pretty easily. It was a really fun hunt. 
Yeah, I believe it. You got You got to think the weather had something to something to do with it because, um, for the most part, I you know I tagged out or I shot my buck on the uh, November fourth, and it was the only mature buck I saw. Or I take that back. It was the second mature buck that I saw. The only one that particular day. And again, I don't, I don't sit on field edges or in places where I can see a long distance. So there could be more deer in the area. This guy just came through at the right time. Sure. But it was right after that early November, if you can remember, huge rainstorm that it rained like a day and a half and it just was consistent hard rain the entire time. The second that ended, I was in a tree and sure enough, uh, one of my target bucks popped out and uh, I, I got him. So uh, that weather, that that weather, that consistent rain, that cold temperature drops, you know, all that stuff adds up and uh if uh, if you can play it right, man, you can be successful. Yeah, I, it seems like I always have good luck anytime the weather changes. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's raining and it goes dry, if it dries and it goes raining, if it's hot and it goes cold. It just seems like, and you know, there's no science really to back this up, I don't think, but it just seems like uh, when it's changing, the deer are less comfortable right. with just sitting around and doing nothing. But, you know, when the wind picks up or, it gets cold. It seems like it gets them on their feet, and it sure does. Right, absolutely. So, I, to me, to me, this year was one of the best years I've had in my entire life. Not, not just with the snow, not just the later part of November or whatever. Just the whole, the whole season was phenomenal. You know, right. I was seeing deer. The guys I was hunting with was seeing were seeing deer, big deer. It was a, it was a good season this year. Yeah, that's that's one thing that. Uh was kind of the opposite for me. I think the last time we talked, um, I, I told you about how my trail camera pictures just shut off completely. And, um, not really sh- as far as mature bucks are, are concerned. And luckily this guy showed up on a part of the farm that doesn't typically get a lot of pressure from me or any of the other hunters. And I was able to, um, capitalize on that. But at the same time, checking all my trail cameras, somewhere around that late September all the way up until November something like 5th or 6th I didn't get any mature bucks on trail camera and then after that that first week in November then they all started to show up again so I'm not sure what it was maybe it was crop rotation maybe it was pressure during September and October from other hunters or God knows what but uh, it took a while for them to show back up this year yeah that's but, you know, I don't think that's abnormal. Yeah. I, I really don't. You know, this year I had a really, really big eight-pointer. It was a really nice, mature buck on one of my farms. And all summer into fall, and I want to say the same thing with the cameras, um, maybe late October, I want to say like the 25th or somewhere around in there was the last picture I got of them. Yeah. And nothing. You know, I never saw them, nothing on cameras, and just last week. In fact, I'm trying to think, it was Saturday, just a couple of days ago. I checked cameras and I got him like six times again. So, you know, where did he go for a month and a half? I, you know, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, it it seems like that's more typical than it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it sounds like you had fun at least, right. And you got out and you got, you got to, yep. You got to see some mature whitetails in their element and just watching a deer live in its own habitat without killing it is something that, I wish more people could 
could observe because it teaches you a lot about whitetail behavior when you just get to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I even tell guys that have, uh, what do you want to say, like panic or they, they get buck fever really bad and they right. really can't, they can't control themselves <laughs> at the moment of truth. I tell them, you know, wait for a target deer. And then when that deer comes in, don't shoot it and, you know, force yourself not to shoot it. And, you know, that's hard to do because we put so much time and effort into it, but that's right. one way I found to get over that is to put yourself in a position where you can kill it, yeah. but you don't. And, yeah. I, you know, to me, that's just uh, a suggestion I give people. I don't know how many people take it because at the moment of truth, they still want to harvest that animal, but, yeah. Yeah, but absolutely, you learn so much more because you know, especially in the rut, you know, you see a buck like that. And a lot of times, the moment you lay you lay eyes on it until you're pulling back your bow, it could be seconds or you know, fifteen seconds, and you're not really learning much because right. you're you're spending all of your time, you know, getting your bow up and making sure you got everything right and aiming and where you're going to shoot and stop the deer and stuff that you you you're not really learning anything about that animal. But yep. Absolutely. 2018 will definitely go down as one of my, one of my best years for sure. So, and it's not over yet. Yep. Absolutely. And then we're going to talk about that here in a second, but really quick, have you heard any rumblings, um, for around where you live about like a big, a, a big outbreak in EHD this summer and, and, uh, into the early fall? No, I have, I have heard nothing so one of my farms is in like Western Wayne County. I'm very close to the Decatur County line. And then my other farm is in Southwest Decatur County and not, not anywhere around me okay. that I'm aware of. Have I, have I personally seen any evidence or, or had anybody talk about it? Gotcha. Gotcha. That's uh, I've started to hear a little bit of rumblings. Uh, I hunt in Johnson County and I hunt in Henry County and um, especially down on uh, my Henry County farm. I, I hear people saying, Hey man, I had a lot of bucks disappear. Some, you know, in that, uh, in that September, late August, September, October age range and, or uh, uh, time frame And, and they, they didn't show back up or they haven't showed back up when some of these guys are, you know, they're hunting some, some fairly well managed properties to where the deer are staying on their property the entire year. And when they get a, a big jump in deer that stop showing up, that's typically a bad sign for them. So, um, and then in, again, with some other people, uh, and, and this isn't to scare anybody, it's just, you know, rumblings that are going around because we had such a, a, a terribly dry summer. And when you have dry summers, you tend to get that outbreak of uh, EHD. Yeah, you're right. Cause I was actually worried about it. And then I just, I never saw anything. The last, the last time that I saw something like that, you know, right by me where I actually saw dead deer was like, was it 2012 or 13 yeah. is when I saw a fair number of deer get killed. Um, but no, nothing this year. Yeah. Hopefully that's space. Yeah. Knock on wood. Right. So, yeah. All right. So today's podcast, uh, the rest of the time we're going to talk about late season and I feel as these deer start heading back in and, and probably by now they've been, you know, 
they've been scared to death by the shotgun hunters and uh, they're heading back into this nocturnal uh, bed to feed pattern there's still a lot of guys out there who have their tags yet to fill and um, I want to talk about how we can give them advice talk to them walk us through whatever on uh, how we we still might be able to get the job done uh, the rest of the you know the rest of the December month and then into uh, January 10th I think is when uh, the season ends so just on a real high level Tom what is your game plan going in to the late season, whether you have a, um, a muzzle loader or a bow in hand? Well, for me, it's, I mean, this is just, everybody says this, but it's so true. It's just all find them, find the food source and hope for some cold weather, maybe some snow. Mm-hmm. And that's, so at a very high level, that's what I'm doing. Gotcha. And then I'm, and I'm hunting very, you know, almost without exception i'm hunting evenings although in and i'd like to talk about this at some point in today's conversation but in 2016 i had a really good hunt with my son for the late muzzleloader i think we had nine days in a row to hunt and that taught me a little bit about hunting mornings uh with you know late muzzleloader late archery which until then i would have said was you know near impossible to kill a mature buck on a morning hunt in that time frame and we didn't we didn't get one on a morning hunt in that time frame but i sure saw opportunities where you could where we could have if the scenario would have been uh, you know the right scenario for us but well let's definitely let's go ahead standing corn or standing beans and, and keying in on it that's, yeah. that's your ticket this time of year yeah let's go ahead and break that down then because you're right when we start talking about late season hunting your mind instantly goes to afternoons only right so from a statistic standpoint that's probably the best bet so tell us why that is why it's uh, your best bet to hunt evenings but then on the back end tell us what changed your mind in 2016 about you know hey don't let's not count out mornings so this is i guess this is what i believe and i think there's some pretty solid scientific evidence to show that uh, by the time you get into the later parts of December and early January, a deer's metabolism slows down. Uh, the rut is primarily over, not to say that there aren't some deer that can go possibly come into heat. So these deer are simply buying time, working off of fat reserves, and eating what's available just to make it through winter and get to spring. So there's no real sense of urgency to get up on their feet, put themselves in the in the harm's way. And like you said, there's shotgun season just ended, you know, uh, muzzleloader season is going on. So there's guys out doing that. Uh, the pheasant season has deer stirred up. So uh, the pressure, the pressure from hunters is high. Deer's metabolism slowed down, run activities, you know, come and gone. So there's just not a lot of evidence to show that deer really need to eat a whole bunch of calories this time of year. So that's, they're just not moving in daylight hours or more so in daylight hours. But the one thing that has been consistent for me in my entire life hunting whitetail deer is that evening feeding pattern where they sit in their beds all day. You know, they're getting up and they're nibbling on some blackberry bushes or some dogwood or something like that. But that evening feeding pattern will still get them on their feet and out toward that food source for that evening hunt. 
uh, I still don't know that you're going to see them at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. If you're hunting a mature buck, you'll see does and fawns and smaller bucks all times a day, but those mature bucks, it just seems like you're just not going to see them until like that last half an hour or maybe hour before quitting time. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now, what what specifically did you see in 2016 that made you say, hey, maybe I should put a little bit more thought into a morning sit late season? So I'd have to kind of set this stage for you so you can just bear with me here. I bought, I bought an 80-acre farm, and that's the farm that I talked about earlier uh, in Wayne County. And that's actually where we built our house this summer. But when I bought it, I told my son, you know, let's, let's just pound that farm in the morning. Let's just, we have no food over there. There's no like standing anything. In fact, the cover on this farm is not that good. So I said, let's just pound it in the morning. Let's just go there and hunt just so we have a place to go. I said, let's just see what happens. And we'll save our other farm, which had standing corn, standing beans, and your typical late season, you know, mecca for deer hunting. We'll save that farm for the evening sit. So what we would do is we'd get in an hour before sunrise, and we were trying to hunt basically just an observation stand to see, you know, were, were deer coming through some of these draws? Were there any deer on the farm? You know, what was happening? And the very first morning, only with our binoculars, we were seeing 15, 20, 25 deer basically on a feed-to-bed pattern and shooter bucks. I mean, some of these bucks were phenomenal deer, but well before, well before like shooting hours. And they were on a, just a feed-to-bed pattern. They were walking these draws back through my farm, and we could see them with our binoculars you know, right before, you know, that 20 minutes or 15 minutes before you can really start seeing good with your eyes. If you have some good optics, you can usually pick these deer up. And then we were actually watching the deer go through some draws and some ditches. And then they would get up into these CRP hills and they would spar and stand around and be up there well, well past daylight and then bed down. So we never did get to the point where we could get a shot at these deer. So for the whole nine days, we were hunting every morning and we were seeing this same feed to bed pattern every morning, but it was all very, very early, which, which told me if there was a way for us to get into those CRP fields, it was, it was CRP that really wasn't managed very good. And there was a lot of junipers, cedars growing up in there. And that's where they were bedding. And that was not my property, but had that been my property, I think we easily could have put a, put ourselves in a position, especially with a muzzle order, to be within, you know, that 150 or 200 yard range to get a shot at these deer just as the sun was coming up. Gotcha. So basically it's, you know, a lot of the times deer this time of year, they're showing up on a food source especially if it's an ag field, wide open ag field, standing crops, you know, right at last light or right after last light. But in the mornings, you know, they're, they're making their rounds, you know, they'll, they'll probably eat a little bit, they'll bed down, then they'll stand up, they'll eat a little bit more, and they, they have their quote-unquote evening bedding area that's probably in some type of buffer strip or grass along these ag fields. And 
I agree with you 100% because I am a huge fan of hunting mornings all, all times a year, even early season. And just like they go to their bedding or, you know, to their food source, at some point they're coming back to it. And if you can find a good access route, that's not necessarily, oh, what I like to do is not hunt the bedding, but right before it gets to their bedding, then you can, then you'll be able to see them come back to their bedroom. And, um, I don't know when I have the time I like to do it because I typically don't hunt a lot of late season either because a I'm tagged out or B, you know, I get back into the role of dad and husband and, and, you know, work again. And, uh, it just kind of takes a back seat, but I agree a hundred percent. Like I love hunting mornings all times a year. Yeah. What I saw in 16, kind of shot all my theories about late season hunting up until that point. But, you know, I, I want to say this is every, all the evidence that I accumulated in all my years was basically, you're just not going to shoot a mature buck. You're going to maybe get a two year old or something like that in a morning hunt on January 3rd, but you're not going to get a four or five year old buck. And that's just not the case. Uh, from what I saw in 2016, if you have the ability to get in very close to bedding and in my mind very close to bedding and then with a muzzle loader would probably be your ticket what i saw that year is you know there was a half a dozen bucks and maybe even some does and stuff like that they were kind of spread out so to try and get in there with a bowl and not have one of these deer get downwind of you would almost seem like an impossible task from what i saw right but for a muzzle loader for that scenario that I tried to describe, I think it would actually have been fairly easy from what we saw if I had, if I owned that land, but I didn't own that land. So we were, we were left with the option of trying to cut them off and we were cutting them off every morning. We were cutting them off, but it just wasn't very legal. Yeah. So but it was, it was still fun. And I learned a lot that year because, you know, if somebody has access to some kind of betting like that, or you can sit an observation stand for one or two days and see that type of movement, you know, get in on them. Get in on them for a morning hunt. Yeah. Now my other farm, I have so much confidence in these late, these uh, evening, these evening sits that I don't hunt in the morning just because I'm paranoid about bumping deer and and having my scent, you know, get in there and and basically ruining an evening hunt only because I have so much confidence in those evening hunts on those standing grain plots. Right. So I don't do it. It's not maybe the, the, the guy couldn't, but for me, it's more I'm just being real careful to not maybe ruin a hunt that to me is not a guarantee, but it's very high odds because I've spent so much time and effort, you know, back in April planning for a January hunt that I don't want to screw it up by being overly aggressive, especially that time of year. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So have you noticed like anything as far as deer movement and what time they're arriving at the food source based off of how far away they're betting from the food source? Because I think that could probably play a role too, right? If, if the, if the bedding or if the food source is, you know, quite a ways from the bedding area or from the food source, you're probably not going to see them hit that food source until 
you know, after dark or uh, right at last light, maybe depending on if let's say there's a huge cold snap that maybe helps get them up a little earlier. But on the flip side, I think on a morning hunt, if you hunt closer to that bedroom, you, you, you stand a better chance of running into deer in shooting light when it's, there's a longer distance between that uh, bedding area and that food source. I think what you're saying is mostly true with the exception of what I saw, just, this is just, I know I'm going back to 16 again, but that's that's the only data that I have. Right. Right. Uh, What I saw on 16 is if you were getting, if you were getting into that bedding area, you know, as the sun is coming up type of thing, you were already too late. Okay. Cause we were, we were in these travel corridors an hour before light and they were already coming through. Uh, I mean, just picture yourself, you know, sitting in early January with a set of good binoculars and you, you, you can barely pick out these deer and then you pick up your binoculars and you can see that they got racks on them and full racks and, you know, there's a little or a buck or whatever, but anyone that's listening that has a good pair of binoculars, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but these deer were well, you know, there's no way we were going to intercept these deer between seed and bed. You would, you would have had to get right back in their bedding areas and then hope, Hopefully they were still on their feet. And like I said, we saw a couple of them spiring. So some of these deer were actually spiring as the sun, sun came up, but they were already there. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you know, so what I saw was you had to be there and you had to be, you know, basically on top of them or within that muzzleloader range of 150 yards or whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. And I do agree with you for an evening hunt, you know, the distance from bedding to food going to have a high impact the other thing that's going to have a real high impact is the amount of hunting pressure that that property has seen right so if that property has has seen a lot of archery pressure first and second shotgun pressure maybe it's public land you might not even see deer get out to that food source during daylight hours because they're just not gonna they don't they don't have to right they're not going to put themselves in a position to get killed just so they can get to that cornfield when you know when it's still daylight so you know people hunting public land got to take that into account my farms because of me you know i have the ability to control how they're hunted just don't see pressure they don't i don't shotgun season hunt them for that reason and even during the archery season the pressure that's put on them is minimal and i'm not i'm real careful with where my scent goes and we talked about that all in the last two podcasts yep but yep. by the time you get to December, January, the deer I'm hunting, this might sound bad, but it's like they have no pressure at all. Yeah. So even when I do see a mature buck, you know, sometimes it'll be an hour before daylight. Yeah. Because I mean, they just, they've, they've gotten into this lull of no hunting pressure for so long that it really makes for some good late season hunting. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, the guys who lease land or have some really good uh, permission ground or even own land that's a that's a benefit that they they get to have now what do you think for let's say a property that just got pounded during shotgun season um, and the pressure was there maybe they did a lot of drives or there was guys coming in and out of of it how long do you think it takes if it does eventually happen for these deer to kind of get back to a quote-unquote comfortable uh, I guess a comfortable movement on that farm again. I, 
I don't know. Yeah. If, if it's if it's got if it got hunted that hard, I don't know. I don't know that it's ever going to return back to like, like some sense of normalcy before the season ends. I guess maybe the exception would be if you had some really colder weather or did get some snow and you did have some standing crops that you're going to feel a little bit more pressure on them just because uh, they're going to try and, you know, have some carbohydrates in their diet or whatever to create some warmth. You know, deer are no different than us sitting in a feast stand all day when it's 55 degrees out for a deer. That's nothing. They can just lay in their bed and munch on twigs all day long and they're doing just fine as opposed to 15 below zero or five degrees or, you know, and it's just cold. They're going to want to get off and move just like we would. Yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, weather can maybe put some pressure on them to get up on their feet. But if you're hunting deer that are that pressured, I guess, I don't know. I don't want to say under that scenario, I've never had the position where I've hunted deer under that pressure and been successful. I've had many years in my life where I've, been forced to hunt deer they were pressured that hard uh it's one of the reasons why i saved my whole life to buy land because i i wasn't very successful hunting that kind of ground so i uh i guess i wouldn't be the one to ask what to do because i've never been that successful with deer that were pressured that hard yeah yeah makes sense too i don't, I don't know what your thought i curious to what your thoughts are on that yeah so so for me i do hunt a, a piece of property that gets pounded during shotgun season okay and i've never had a, any success in i mean when i say success i mean actually harvesting a deer um after the rut after the shotgun seasons um have worked their way through just because of that scenario alone however when i have had the uh i guess success meaning i've had encounters or i've been close maybe haven't uh, sealed the deal but have been close to uh you know connecting on a mature whitetail it, late season where there's a lot there's been a lot of pressure and for the most part they're nocturnal it's been on an aggressive mobile move into their um into the clo as close as humanly possible to the bedding area without spooking them so when they do stand up out of their bed and start to move it's you know it's still last light if i would have you know if i was sitting on a field edge i never would have seen these guys and more than likely put additional pressure on them because when they finally got to the field edge they would have smelled that i was there so i like to do some like run and gun type hunts where i get as close to the bedding area as i possibly can if i can figure out where they're at late season and, and uh, that's where my success has been i almost treat it i almost treat an evening hunt like an early season morning hunt if that makes sense where i'm i'm going into the bedding area hoping to catch them come back but late season i'm going downwind or we're in between the bedding and the and the food source as close as humanly possible without uh, spooking them in hopes that right when they stand up and work their way through, let's say either like a pinch point or a well-used trail or maybe a fence crossing, then I, you know, that's where my success is, has laid, but like, but you're right. It's just very difficult when that ground has been pounded all shotgun season. Yeah. I, I think your, I think your analysis or your strategy is, is probably spot on. I'd be the first to admit that 
you know, maybe I've even tried something like that, but I just have not had yeah. a lot of success hunting really pressured deer. I will, I will say this much, and I don't know if it really helps anybody, but I don't think that deer, if they have a good bedding area where they can see predators coming, smell predators coming, they got good thermal cover that time of year. If they get driven out shotgun season, I, I do think they're going to come back. I don't think the deer get blown out and they go 10 miles away and they relocate. And actually science shows that, that that's not true, that, they, that this, they'll stay in their home range and they'll come right back to where they feel they're the most secure. So I don't necessarily think that you're going to completely blow out an area, but under that much pressure, you know, it's life and death for these deer. And you don't get to be five years old, four or five or six years old, by making really stupid mistakes during shotgun and muzzleloader season, you get there by being the deer that stays in your bed all day long and punkers down and it makes it through these gun seasons. Yep. Absolutely. Oh, it's just, it's a tough hunt. It's a tough hunt. I don't, I don't envy the guy that has to hunt that way, but I sure, uh, I sure, you know, shake a, shake a guy's hand that can kill one under those conditions. Cause that's a heck of a, it's a heck of a feat to be able to do something like that. Right. So, I'm looking at the forecast, right? And like like we've already talked about, typically we pray for those really cold conditions. And, and like if I had my way, I wish it snowed 10 inches, you know, between now and the end of this week. And I wish that uh, the temperatures would drop into the 20s, maybe even into the teens. And, uh, and that way, the standing food source that I've already identified is becomes the number one target in the area, right? They're not picking, no a- doubt. they're not picking acorns off the ground anymore that are left over from the fall. They're not, you know, they're not typically browsing on anything that's on the forest floor. You know, they, there's still some of those bushes that have the green leaves all year round. And, uh, but that, that ag field becomes the number one source for these deer. Now, what do you think, Okay, so back to the forecast, though, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. Doesn't look like we're going to get really cold temperatures. It doesn't look like we're going to get any precipitation in the form of snow um, between now and possibly the end of the year. Uh, and, and I'm only speaking for you know southern Iowa, southeast Iowa. Maybe up north they will. But what do you think the best bet is for a guy? And let's try to take pressure out of the equation. But for the guy who may have identified a food source, but at the same time, he's not getting the weather conditions that he needs to make an optimal late season hunt. Well, there's, you just gotta, you gotta play the hand that was dealt. Yeah. I know that's kind of a cliche, but you just have to go. Yep. You hunt. And if you're hunting that food source, you're probably going to see does and fawns and smaller bucks coming out within daylight, within shooting light. Uh, going back to several years, um, late muzzleloader hunting, you know, we've killed some nice deer when it's been 45 degrees out. Yeah. My son killed a buck in 2014. If I remember, it was a five or six year old buck and that deer was run down from a rut, something bad. I mean, to the point where you'd be like, is he going to make it? I mean, that's how run down he was from the rut and he was on a bed to feed pattern coming out an hour and a half before light on standing beans and he killed them on a day that was like 47 degrees out. Yeah. So definitely 
three, four inches of snow, 10 inches of snow and cold weather is going to make your hunt easier. But you just got to, you just got to grind it out. And you wanted to take pressure out of the equation. But one thing I'll say is the weather forecast, because I was looking at it too this afternoon, the weather forecast shows this nice balmy weather through the end of the year, but the long term almost shows like it might cool down a little bit yeah. in January, like that first part of January, right before the season ends. So I guess, you know, as the forecast gets closer, I know what I'll be doing this year is I'll be watching the forecast with my daughter and if it looks like it's gonna get cold, I'm not gonna make I'm not gonna do something stupid that could really harm her hunt if yeah. we just wait another week type of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um so even but we're let, gonna get at it. Yeah. Yeah. So even let that property just soak a little bit longer, get them into a, a point where they're not even thinking right? They're just getting out of their bed and they're walking to food. They're eating all night, going back to bed, getting up, going to the food source, eating all night, back and forth. And then it's going to be, you know, it's like, oh my God, what just happened to me? And by the time that they realize what's gone, they're dead. That's, that's kind of, you know, I have the, I have the ability. Um, I'm lucky enough to have the farms that I have that I can do that. Right. You know, and I don't, I don't apologize for it because I put myself in a position to be able to do that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's going to be my strategy is to hunt, but make sure that I'm not, you know, bumbling these deer. So I'm going yep. back to, this is October 1st hunting all over again. Yeah. That's all this is Yep. It's early that's, season yeah. hunting, but now it's colder and it's no different than October 1st when it's 80 degrees out or 85 degrees out. Are you necessarily going to get that target buck on its feet and out to a food plot during daylight hours? You know, maybe. Probably not. This is no different other than now they got their winter coats on and the 85 degrees is now 55 degrees yeah. where 55 degrees is now, you know, really not ideal, but they'll still get up and move. Yeah. At, you know, at 55 degrees, especially if they need to, that buck that my son shot was when we gutted it out and skinned it, literally didn't have any fat on it. So I, I think that deer was actually in kind of a, completely rejuvenation mode where it was really trying to eat as much as it could to try and put some fat reserves on it. And now obviously they don't know that they're doing this, but they're, he was so run down. I think he was doing everything he could to put, put calories in his body and he was on his feet, you know, well before, well before the sun went down. So that that's not to say that there's not more bucks doing that everywhere, but yeah, you know, you got to, you got to get on it. And, and my thing is, I think you're spot on if you're hunting public land or you're hunting the family farm that has seen a lot of hunting pressure for the uh, shotgun season. You know, your experience can tell you, can you wait it out? Can you wait it out and hunt the last 10 days in January? Yeah. And if your experience tells you you can't wait it out, well, then maybe the, maybe the more appropriate method is to be aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know early season you're a huge fan of green, right? Green food. Without snow, yeah. without snow cover, are you still a fan of green food this time of year, or have you kind of switched over to grains? What typically it's standing beans and standing corn. Yeah, I I will say this this year, the one farm that I that I planned on hunting with my daughter for the late season, the beans are gone. There's no standing beans left, and I got two acres of standing corn that 
is probably half gone, if not even more than that. So there's a very high probability that by the season, by the time the season ends, the hunting season ends, that that corn's going to be gone. But I've also, every year I also overseed all my soybeans with winter rye back in August. So there's three, four acres of winter rye that's coming up through the beans and winter rye stays green all year. So the bottom line for a deer is they will eat what they want to eat, what's the most uh, attractive to them at the time. But if the habitat is still there, they'll, they'll go right from that standing corn if it's gone. Let's say by the end of the year it's gone and my daughter's going to still be hunting January 1st through the 10th. Then they'll be eating on that on that winter rye. They'll be scrounging, you know, back in their bedding areas because I got exceptional habitat and I, you know, I needed that's another another podcast for a different time. But if you provided on private land or even on public land, if you if you find or provide the best possible habitat you can, those those deer don't disappear. They have to go somewhere. So the standing beans and the standing corn, that just makes it easier for us to kill them. That's really all all it's there for. But you know, all the farmers' fields are are combined. All the beans and all the corn are typically off this time of year. So if you have the best habitat, even if you don't have standing crops, but you have really good exceptional habitat, you're still going to have deer on your property. Right. Right. Now, as we start to wind down here, I want to ask some probably some shorter questions. Are you at all using any type of calls this time of year to get a, a deer closer to you or um, blind calling or anything like that? No. No. Yeah. Just flat, flat out no. Yeah. No. Oh, same here. I don't, I, I really don't have anything to add. I mean, I just, I think, and we've talked about this, uh, during the rut, right? I mean, I, I don't even, I think this year I rattled at, as total throughout my rut vacation two times, two times. And it was just because I was bored. It wasn't because I was trying to rattle in a deer. It was just, ah, I'm bored. I'm going to get down in about 30 minutes. I'm going to rattle, see what pops up. And all it did was bring in like maybe a couple yearlings and a two-year-old. <laughs> so I, I'm starting to realize that as I mature as a bow hunter, calling, like especially rattling, doesn't even, it doesn't seem to work. <laughs> Uh, well, I think there's a place for it, but I definitely don't think January 4th is the place for Absolutely. it. I just, I don't, <laughs> right. I just don't think it is, you know? Yeah. You don't want to be but, blown up I've told you before, I told you before, if, if I'm pulling out the rattling antlers or the drunk tube, if I'm doing that and I'm blind calling, it's because I've done something else wrong. And yeah. that's, that's for me. That's just, yep. that's for me. I'm not saying yep. anybody else, but yeah, this time of year, this time of year, it's all about scouting. Yep. It's all about scouting and bed, uh, bedding areas and food sources and trying to cut them off or trying to get into their bedding area. Low impact hunting, sitting on a food source. That's kind of what it's all about. Yep, absolutely. Well, um, we're getting ready to wind down here now. Any any last words of wisdom or thoughts you'd like to share with us about uh, late season strategy or late season overall? Um, no, other than you just got to get out there. And, and hunt them I would say the the most low impact you can be the better if you're if you're using a muzzle loader set up 
set up at your farthest confidence distance that you have. So, you know, bow hunting, you want to be right over top of them or, you know, within that 30, 30 yard range muzzle loader. If you're good out to 200 yards, then set up on them at 200 yards and just be as low impact as you can. And it'll, it'll make your season last longer. If you go right in, right in there, head over heels this time of year, it's just, it's going to do a lot of harm. I, I've seen a, a squirrel, you know, a squirrel that barks on you know, clear a field this time of year. They just don't have any, they don't have any patience for any kind of hunting pressure after they've gone through these shotgun seasons and pheasant seasons and guys hunting squirrels and rabbits and you just don't have any patience for it. So Absolutely. Low, low impact as much as you can and the season will last longer for you. Right. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Tom, it's been a pleasure again. I really, uh, thanks for hopping on the uh, podcast today and chatting with us. Good luck to you and good luck to your daughter late season. You bet. Same, same to you. These are, uh, these are fun to do. I hope I can get on again and, uh, good luck to anyone listening. Mm-hmm.